Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good afternoon. Usually do this in the morning, but this afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA. Here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. And we are promoting a knowledge a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. I don't know why it does that. <laughs> it keeps going. Um keeps going and going and going. Anyway. We're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it's our, it's our hope that every time you tune into this broadcast, whenever you do, however we do it, we, <laughs> we've been so infrequent the last uh, several uh, weeks or months. There's a lot about that. I'll talk about that later. But uh, every time we do it, we hope to empower you to prevent, present you a knowledge that is empowering and engaging and um, transforming. That's what we hope to do every time we are on here, and we welcome you to join us on this illuminating journey. As always, you can do so through our various uh, social media, the Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook. You go there and click, and you can find broadcasts, uh, archived broadcasts from all the way back to 2010, 2010, I believe, probably probably a little earlier than – well, we began in 10, 2010, so near to eight years in June, be eight years that we've been – um, doing this broadcast. Also, uh, follow us on Zero. The show handle is at Zero Radio at Z E R A Radio um, on Twitter, and I'm on there at Prophesy P R O P H E P S I on Twitter. Um, you can also send us an email, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at Gmail dot com, and um, all other social media that we're not on will be on. Anyway, so today is a great day and. Uh, we want to talk about, we want to observe, and I don't want to use the word celebrate, but we want to observe the 50th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who today, uh, 50 years ago, uh, April 4th, 1968, at 6.01 p.m., was killed on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. So we'll talk about that and um, his legacy and the impact of his death and his prophetic voice, uh, particularly the night before he was killed, his speech. Uh, we'll draw from that um, and share our thoughts on that. 
But let's go to prayer, to the Lord in prayer real quick. Gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to do this broadcast. We thank you for the opportunity to share. We realize that every good and every perfect gift comes from you. And we just ask God that our words and our meditations within ourselves, our souls, and our minds would be acceptable in your sight. This is our prayer through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. So uh there's there's been a lot going on and I've you know, I kind of been on a hiatus. I was ill earlier this month, uh, earlier this year, which prevented me from doing a lot of talking and I was forced to do some rest. And uh, so I was not doing the show, neither was I doing much writing and I have warranted within myself to get back on track. Um um, I didn't do a lot of traveling either, <laughs> so I, I was, I was feeling kind of out of place. With, with <laughs> being sick is no joke. I, I went from having the flu during Christmas. Uh, 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 I couldn't even pre- preach on Christmas Eve. That's how bad it was. Uh, I spoke, but I wasn't able to really preach. So Christmas, I was sick. New Year's, I was sick, and um, it went from the flu. And once I was over the flu, it went to a sinus cold and sinus infection and that developed into uh acute bronchitis so I, it was pretty bad and the, but the lord uh when i followed the instruction of the doctors the lord's used the body to do what the body does <laughs> and i was i was healed and restored to health good health and now that spring is here my allergies are <laughs> probably like many of yours my allergies are kind of uh acting up on me but i'm trying to stay a Ahead of the game, you know, and um, uh, stay stay doped up <laughs> so that I can uh, function. I don't want to be shut down, and I definitely don't want to have any more sinus issues. But um, as stated before, this show is dedicated uh, as much as I can dedicate it as long as we will. This won't be a long show. I'll try to do an hour um, but if I can't talk for an hour, that's that's fine. I, I'll be all right. Um, but I, I want to be, um, I want to take this time to to honor honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've had the privilege of meeting his children, his niece, and uh, his wife before she passed. I've had the privilege of going to the King Center in Atlanta. Of going to the Lorraine Motel uh, and the National Civil Rights Museum, I've had the honor of knowing people who knew him personally. And each time um, I get to talk with some of them who labored with him in the cause for civil equity and equality and rights, and it blows my mind, you know, that I I've only had a textbook rendering. For the large part, most of us only have a textbook rendering of who he was and what he did, and it's been allocated largely to the "I Have a Dream" speech. But I, the more I study him and the more I listen to some of his sermons—not his speeches, but his sermons from the pulpit—I um, had the book and audio recordings of a knock at midnight, and I cherish those those uh, recordings and listening to him and hearing. Uh, his prophetic voice and knowing what he stood for uh, has been quite empowering, uh, quite empowering indeed. And to know 
that yes, he had his flaws because he was a human. And yes, the FBI did what they did to him and they tried to discredit him and many others who fought the good fight of faith during the civil rights moment movement. Yes, they did. And 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 you know, there's truth to that and I I had to learn that I'm a preacher since since I've been in ministry now with uh nearly thirty years. Uh, you know, I, I know something about preachers now. <laughs> I don't know why it is about us, and our um, our frailty is heightened to a degree. You know, uh, um, those qualities uh, that uh, seem antithetic. You know, to be an antithesis to our mission and our calling. Um, sometimes um, cause harm, and sometimes they cause help. That cause help. I, you know, but um, today the entire nation pauses, as we do every year on his birth. But it's more, is a is a greater sense uh, of who he is and who he was on this on this day. Um, because 1968 historically was one of the most tumultuous years in American history. And you read, I, I watched a documentary on the 68, and, you know, you had the the summer of peace and love going on in San Francisco. You had the assassination of Dr. King. You had the riots that went on across the country, Detroit, Chicago. Um, I'm not sure if they had, I think I want to say D.C., but I'm not sure. But there was a lot of riots happening after King's death, uh, but also some prior to his death. There were, um, you know, you had the assassination of Robert Kennedy. You had the heightened um, Vietnam War. Um, there was so much that was going on in 1968, and with the election of Richard Nixon as the president. <laughs> that was another that was another thing so today um today while there are many events going on i was live streaming um the uh mak 50 um celebration that's being hosted by the southern baptist convention uh religious and ethics committee uh commission uh, and i got to i got a chance to stream um some of that and hear some of that and I tell you I was very intrigued by uh the panelists uh, by the last um breakout session and there's they're, they're talking about multi-ethnic churches and I'm I'm going to talk about that a little bit m- later um cuz I'm uh we'll be talking about the embrace conference that will be happening here in Jackson Mississippi and I'll talk tell you about that more also but to hear um these brothers of the Baptist faith, the Southern Baptist faith, um, come together to acknowledge the fact that they had a hand, they played a hand in uh, creating the environment that led, or creating, yeah, to creating the environment and creating the um, the essence of the things that led to Dr. King's death, not just Dr. King's death, but the death of many, many persons, black and white, who strove to see all persons created equal and benefiting and 
living in that promise equality guaranteed us by our founding fathers. And and so we we acknowledge that today. We acknowledge they acknowledge we acknowledge and and, and to, to their credit they are working now. There are those within who are still fighting uh now thanks to our current president President Donald J. Trump and uh, some of the things that he invoked during his candidacy and uh, some of the things that he has invoked since his presidency has kind of reignited or amplified in a degree, to a degree, uh, that those sentiments, those emotions, and those uh, the, that environment 50 years later. So those are some of the things that we want to address, we want to talk about as we reflect on uh, Dr. King. And I'm going to draw from a piece that I just published on my website. Um, you can go to LorenzoTNeal.com and you can read my latest article. I may not get there with you, The Death of America's the Death of Black America's Last Prophet. And um, I, I wrote that piece. Oh boy, wait a minute now. <laughs> I, uh, apparently, I did not set the timer for this episode. They don't say anyway. I'll keep going. I'll go off, but I'll, I'll keep going. Um, so, what does this day mean? Fifty years later. We have come to a point of here in American history, 50 years later, where blacks are more educated, uh, more financially empowered in most in many cases, and um, we have more political influence. That we had 50 years ago. We have the Black Caucus at the federal level and some at many state levels. We have blacks as leaders of uh, or holding leadership in state, you know, statewide leaderships. We're, we're yet to have that here in Mississippi. We have yet to have a, a, a black hold a, a statewide elected official, not even talking about governor yet. We are, we have had a black president or a biracial president uh, in the person of Barack Hussein Obama. We have come a mighty long way. We have persons who have accumulated millions and billions dollars in their net worth. We have celebrities who have more influence than the president of the United States. We have come a long way. We have pastors who are mega church pastors, pastoring persons, you know, in the thousands. You know, that was that was. I won't say one coming, uncoming. I, I doubt it was. Even, you know, you may have had a couple of churches that had 
you know, a thousand members and maybe two thousand, uh, you know, uh, hundreds. But you know, but now we have T D Jakes, we have the Creflo Dollars, and we have uh, we who else? We have so many. <laughs> I can't, you know, there are many, many, many. Well, with their um, their congregations like that, and we have those. Blacks who are biblical scholars like Dr. Teresa Fry Brown, um, and so many elders, uh, Dr. Cynthia Hale, uh, Dr. Voorhees, um, I mean, Sores. I mean, I can go on. Dr. Tony Evans. Um, we have we have come a mighty, mighty long way in the last fifty years. And I'm, I'm quite sure Dr. King would be proud as to where we are. We've seen schools integrated, but at the same time, we've seen schools segregated again. We've seen uh, a move out of the urban community into the suburbs and, and vice versa. <laughs> we've, we've seen gentrification and regentrification. We, we, we've seen a lot of things in the last 50 years. And I think Dr. King would be proud. I, I, I'm quite sure he'd be proud. I, but here's the thing. I also believe, I strongly believe that he'd be disappointed. Because a bulk, the, the bulk of our economic empowerment coming from what he lobbied, what he advocated for, you know, is not coming from, um, from, from the, the, the centralized, notion of a black empowered body community going together in unity it's not coming from that it's you know the bulk of our our empower our, our economic power and influence is coming from athletes and entertainers you know it's good to have the boxers it's good to have the basketball players it's good to have football players it's good to have all the you know the oprahs and the Dave Chappelle's and the Bill Cosby's. It's good to have all of those. And the Dick Gregory's. Uh, I miss Dick, Dick Gregory. I miss him so much. Um, even though I never really got the chance to uh, interact with him personally. I have heard his comedy and seen him a show. I never got the chance to interact with him personally. But his sphere of influence and the legacy of his influence is still with us. His soul is still with us, even though he's physically gone. But anyway, we've gotten that. We've ascertained the highest of heights uh, in the last 50 years. But yet, I still believe he would be disappointed because he went, He, as he said in his, in his last speech, he said, I've been to the mountaintop, and I looked and I saw the promised land. And he said, I might not get there with you. But we'll get, as a people, we'll get to the promised land. And I argue uh, that we have gotten to the promised land just as the children of Israel did when they, under the leadership of Joshua, crossed that Jordan River and put those stones as a memorial, those 12 stones as a memorial to their children and their children's children and generations after generations would see that this is what we did. We came out of bondage. We traveled 40 years in desolation. 
and bewilderment and in the wilderness, and we crossed into this land of promise. But unfortunately, once they got into the land of promise and once they fought the battles that had to be fought and they they followed what they were supposed to follow, they did what they were supposed to did, do, they fell off. They never went back into captivity captivity for hundreds of years, but they fell off. They they fell back into uh, disobedience and or sin or whatever you want to call it. They fell into convenience, and it was that complete convenience that caused them to <laughs> to lose quite a bit. And I believe right now. 50 years later, we are in the moment of convenience. I believe because we have allowed ourselves to become convenient with where we are, that our people have become convenient with who they are. I believe we become convenient and complacent and complicit with all that has uh, enabled us to get where we are. We my generation is standing on the generation of Dr. King. And I have to, you know, every time I think about this, I was born seven years after Dr. King's death. I was born seven years after Dr. King's death. But I was born during the time that the civil rights movement was coming to an end. You know, there was no, there was not many great pushes. There was nothing more, not much more to be done. They had accomplished. They had gotten the the voting rights passed. They had gotten schools desegregated. They had gotten uh, busing and all this stuff done. They they had accomplished what they had accomplished. They were able to move into neighborhoods. You know, they were able to get fair housing at, you know, they were able to do that. They were able to get hired at jobs they were once denied. They were able to get recognition for work that they had done that had been omitted from history. They were able, uh, they were composing music. They were doing all these things. And I'm not talking about the R&B top 40 stuff. We we had that. I'm not talking about the Chitlin Circuit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about classical music that was not being heard, that was not being recognized. They we were doing that, and then we got complacent. We were building churches, and even more so, we saw as our churches grew, the complacency the complacency grew with it. As we moved out of urban centers to suburban communities. In in some cases, there was a need for it. In some cases, there was not. We allowed the complacency to set us further back, I believe. And I, I could be wrong about it. But it set us further back than what should have been, what could have been. I I would never um, discredit anything that they have done or that was done for Dr. King or since Dr. King. 
because I understand the necessity of what they did. Um, I I I I say this, and I've been saying this before, and I, I'll say it again. What we're seeing now, uh oh, I didn't mean to do that. Um, audio, uh, video. Uh, what we see in the Black Lives Matter movement is not the same as what was going on during the Civil Rights Movement. It's not uh, there are elements of it that are the same. There's a truth, and there there there's truth to the fact that uh, it does seem like some black lives, uh, you know, black men, black women, unarmed, being shot by police officers. It, it does come across. It is grieving. There is no doubt about that. Anytime anyone is life is brought to an end in a violent way and it could have been prevented, it is very much so grievous to me. It should be grievous to everyone, but you know, we live in such a, a politicized world that we're forced to take sides on stuff that we don't shouldn't even have to take sides on. If a person dies unless they are worthy of the death. By worthy, I mean if they have taken someone else's life intentionally, and there is no repentance, there is no remorse. Yes, they should be. They are worthy of the death. But if a person's life is taken, you know, even if it's taken by mistake, or if it's taken, however, if it's taken violently, you know, we should all be grieved. We should all grieve. Um, Doctor King's life was taken so violently. I, 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 I always. Look now at the fact that I lived longer than he did. He's 39. I'm 42. I'll be 43 next month. And when I reached that age, I'm 39, and I realized how much he had done in the uh, 12, 15 years, 17 years that he was active in the civil rights movement. And I think about, I think about you know God's grace towards me. And this isn't about me. I'm just. I just thought I, I'd, I'd say that. But there are elements of the movement, the Black Lives Movement, that can be connected and are and is connected to the civil rights movement. That is the fact that there is an inequity when it comes, particularly to police officers and their valuation of um black lives that particularly with men male black lives there's this there's this this uh subjective a subconscious idea that a black man <laughs> is a violent man and we we've helped actually you know we've helped that uh perception throughout gangster rap music and uh, whatever rap music we've done and i'm not because i'm a kid in the 90s hip-hop you know, when, when NWA and, and Ice Cube and, and Ice-T and all these other guys were coming out with that kind of music, I embraced it just like everybody else because it was good, <laughs> you know. And to some degree, it expressed the angst that I believe we were experiencing as kids, high school kids, junior high school kids in Louisiana. But at the same time, as we progressed and we got more graphic and we got more, you know, 
chauvinistic and uh, misogynistic in our music. I think we did contribute to this idea. And it was already there in the consciousness of America. That's why they passed marijuana laws. That's where they passed a lot of the laws that they did <laughs> because of the fear of a black man, you know, and it's still there subconsciously within the American uh, 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 contemplative thought is there. You know, within the American consciousness is there. And by us help, you know, we have not helped <laughs> to uh, demystify that notion. We couldn't. It's not that we couldn't. We just not have, we have not helped in demystifying that. Um, so there's a lot that we contribute to that could be um, said it could be better. But anyway, let me get back on topic here. Um, Dr. King's speech. And you can go and look up the text of the speech I, I did. I've read it. I, of course, I've heard it a number of times. Um, but his speech, the night before he was killed, spoke a lot to his prophetic leaning. I guess that's a good word. The fact that what he talked about, even though it was a rally for men, garbage workers, sanitation workers, even though it was a rally for them and it was a march for them and it was about them, you know, getting equality, equal rights, equal pay and all of that. Though it was about that and his speech he 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 talked so much about the relevance of not just them and their cause, but the entirety of his life and his cause. He talked about he tells the story. Uh that's a helicopter going over if y'all can hear that, I don't know or not. He tells the story of when he was um, sitting down and eating or something, and a white woman asked if he was Dr. King, and he replied yes. And the next thing you know, she had stabbed him, and the the stab wound was so deep and the the knife went so far that it was very near his aorta that if he had sneezed, he would have died. And while they did the surgery and removed the knife and uh, repaired the wound while he was being, while he was recovering, he was receiving letters and calls. But there was one letter that stood out to him and that was from a white girl from White Plains, New York, I believe. I'm, I may be mistaken, but I know it was White Plains. And in the letter, she recalled how the story that she heard that was being reported by the news outlets and how that if he had sneezed, he would have died. And she said, she, she said I'm so glad you didn't sneeze. And to that <laughs> remark, he said, he went on to say he's glad he didn't sneeze because if he hadn't sneezed, he wouldn't have been able 
to speak at in Washington. He wouldn't be able to to do win the Nobel Peace Prize. He wouldn't have been able to uh, do all the things that he had done up until that moment because he didn't sneeze. But it wasn't really him not sneezing. It was God's grace. And he talked about how much God's grace was, how how much it meant to him, and how 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 um how impactful it was to him. And um, I was trying to find the um, the speech, and I, I got it on. But it, you know, the speech that he gave was hauntingly prophetic, not just for him, but for us today. Then I, I pulled up. I, I pulled, I lifted uh, a few quotes from that speech in my article, and I, I want to share that with you. And again, I want to encourage you to go to LorenzoTenio.com and you can read the article over yonder, the white robes over yonder, and and all this in the symbolism thereof. And 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 when I first thought about this, I, I was like, man, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. You know, the black church conditioned its people not to live for the day, but to live for the 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 king the, the you know, the coming kingdom. Jesus will come back and in that great getting up morning, um, I'm gonna put on my white robe, uh, I'm gonna have a new name and you know, I'm gonna live in my mansion and the streets of paved gold, the pearly gates and all that, yada yada yada, so forth and so on. And but he 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 likened it into the fancifulness of a false reality. We cannot put our trust in a life over yonder if we can't have a life here. What good is it to have a hope if all you hope for is for something else, you know, later? And Paul writes about that, you know, in, in several scriptures, but particularly, I, I, I think about, and I, and I preached on this a couple of times, but Paul says, all this life, if in this life alone we had hope in Christ, then we are you know, miserable. If that's all we had, you know, if, if this was it, we'd be miserable. And I think black church conditioned people to think, okay, well, this is it. You know, your misery is where it is. It is what it is. Ain't nothing going to change. So you just need to put your head and hope toward heaven and live as good life as you can. And then you're going to get your mansion. (laughs) And I believe we did a great disservice to people. Because, you know, a lot of black preachers put resistance. They gave resistance to Dr. King and the movement. They, they, matter of fact, some of them were his enemies. They were antagonists. You know, one of the reasons he had to pull out of the National Baptist Convention and and start the progressive along with many others, uh, you know, the reason he had to do that was because they were antagonistic to his message. They did the pie in the sky was good enough for them. The pie right here, well, we can look at it, but we can't have it. Part of that is still lingering in our community today. When I look at urban renewal and gentrification and things like that it, it it's still 
you know, I live in the hood. I, I live where I pastor. I live where I pastor. I see, I, I see one woman in particular. She sleeps wherever she can find a place, and she pushing her her buggy up and down the street. And she'll knock on the door of the church and say, Pastor, can you give me a few dollars? I, I need some food. Uh, uh, can you give me a few dollars? Can you take me here? I do this. Uh, I, I see the kids, you know, struggling with clothes. They barely can wear, you know, they they wear a uniform and they only have three pair for the whole, you know, they got to rotate or two pair for the, uni- the entire uniform. I see... The houses that were once grand and wonderfully made, and and the the people who built them had them built. They had them built with pride. They lived in them with pride, and the children have forsaken the properties and they're renting them out, and and people are just tearing them up. I'm seeing I'm seeing the urban flight in my city of Jackson, where in South Jackson they're struggling to maintain. The, the cultural significance of that portion of the city, while many are moving north and uh, northeast in the city and towards the suburbs and, 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 and big businesses are moving out. And the churches are still pitching a pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. Unfortunately, some of them are pitching prosperity. Uh, you hope, and I get that's what some of the preachers get <laughs> are saying. You keep hoping, you keep tithing, you keep giving, and you keep hoping God bless you with this and that, and I'm going to get what I want from you because you're going to bless me, and you bless me, and I'll drive my Mercedes, my BMW, my uh, whatever car it is, and you have to, you know, you got to get on my level. You got, you, you know, you got, you ain't got enough faith. And it's pitiful. I think they'll live in that. And, and, and Dr. King said it's all right to talk about it. And all of his symbolism. To reinforce this idea that all we have hope for is the other side is damaging, detrimental to us. And the preachers, if we continue to do that, even if, if it's either through the traditional means or the old by and by, some great morning, one of these old days, glory, glory, hallelujah, all that stuff. If we keep doing that and not telling them that you can have it now, you can have economic empowerment now, go to school, get your degree. It's been proven that you get the higher your education, the more income you have, the better you are trained, get a skill, get a trade, do that instead of telling them you can't or you shouldn't. I think we do a great disservice. I think also, I think also we do a great disservice, and Dr. King pointed this out by being selfish. And one thing I I I I, I thought was very powerful. He said, "Let us have a kind of dangerous unselfishness," and within the context of the of, of the talk he was talking about black communities doing and supporting black businesses he, he actively said that if you got insurance with a white company drop, drop it and go get insurance with a black owned company 
<laughs> you know, we should be in we should be supporting black businesses other than the funeral home and the church because the church is a black business, a black business. They pay bills. The only thing they don't do is pay taxes. But some churches have employers, employees, and all of that. And, and as I mentioned earlier about the um, these mega churches, sometimes having as many as 40, 50 employees, that, that's a business. <laughs> now imagine if that if that was a for profit business, how profitable that would be. How you know how how valuable that would be. And, and I make a point of supporting black owned business as much as I can. My barber is black, of course that's going that's, <laughs> of course that's going to be there. I go to a black owned um cleaners as much as I can. I go to uh, black-owned restaurants, as often as I can, I support black-owned businesses, stores. Uh, I, I do as much as I can to circulate money within the black community. And when we are dangerously unselfish, you know, they talk about the, the crabs in the barrel or something like that. I, I'm I'm not sure if that's right, the crawfish in the barrel or whatever it is, you know, and pulling them down when they're trying to get to the top. If we are unselfish, do you realize? And Dr. King talked about this. He talked about the fact that during that time, 1968, he said that the wealth collectively of black people, the collective wealth was greater than many countries. And it's still the, it's still the same today. Our collective GDP as a black community is greater than many major countries. And imagine if we actually had that collective economic power, what we could do with it. And instead of reminiscing on the black Wall Street that's gone, we could recreate that. We have the means of doing it right now. We have the means of revitalizing our own communities right now. And think about it. If you think about black, <laughs> there's there's there are two things, three things that black communities are gonna have plenty of. They're gonna have plenty of barber and beauty shops. That's number one. They're gonna have pl- plenty of barber and beauty shops. Number two, they're gonna have plenty of restaurants, soul food, vegan, you name it, hamburger joints. We're going to have plenty of those. And lastly, we're going to have plenty of funeral homes, undertakers. (laughs) I went to one town, I'll never forget. (laughs) I went to one town. The town only has about 600 people, but there were two funeral homes, two black funeral homes in that little community. Two black funeral homes in that little community right there. They only needed one, but there were two, and there were teen churches in that little community. Thirteen churches, two funeral homes, no banks, and I don't even know how many. Uh, <laughs> I know there was one restaurant, and then there was a woman who had a, a you know she cooked out of her house. She didn't have a restaurant, but she cooked for folk out of her house. 
And um, I, I, I don't know if there was, I know there's two juke joints. You know, that I knew about the juke joints. I wasn't supposed to know about them, but I knew about the juke joints. <laughs> the hole in the walls. Uh, but think about the economic empowerment that we could have if we were dangerously unselfish. I was watching. Um, I was watching something about uh, Iranian Americans who come from Iran. They came from Amer- Iran in the late seventies, before and after um, the uh, revolt or whatever it was in nineteen seventy nine, when the Shah was kicked out and the Ayatollah came to rule and blah 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 yada yada. A lot of those Iranians who fled and came to the states, many were students. Many. You know, we're not students, but they came for fear of their lives, and they repatriated. A lot of them repatriated. I mean, not repatriated. A lot of them made their home in Los Angeles, and there's a whole section of Los Angeles called uh, uh, Los Terrahan or something like that. But anyway, uh, those people are part of Iran-Persian culture. And I watched how they became a collective community. And in that one area in Westbrook, I think that's the name of that little area, you know, this is Little Tehran. This is the little, uh, <laughs> this is the area where there's a high concentration of Iranian Americans. And they pool their resources together to maintain some type of cultural identity. They speak their language. They teach the children their language, so a lot of them are bilingual or multilingual, and their heritage is consolidated. Their money is consolidated. Their economic power is consolidated, and you get the the results of that. You see the TV show like Shaz of Sunset where you can see that (laughs) that wealth. (laughs) You can see that wealth, and we black folk don't have that. We got Hotlanta. We got a lot of money down there in Atlanta, but that money is not centralized. You know, it's, it's in different areas. In but the bulk of Atlanta is still poverty stricken. The school districts are some are performing well, but they're still underperforming. Think about Houston. Think about Dallas. Think about the South. You know, the dirty South where folk are coming back. Think about. Areas in Chicago, especially like the south side of Chicago, we 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 have the means of really empowering and liberating our people, and it ain't through the church. The church is a means of that, but because the church is nonprofit, you know, all we can do is serve as a as a a, a somewhat of a a a, a, a facilitator. Of it, we should be have a uh, as a church. We should have some type of uh, business uh, cubicle, you know, some not cubicle. Y'all know what I mean, what I'm talking about. We should have some means of developing business ideas and entrepreneurs, so they can stay within our communities and and you know build it up. We should take ownership of our schools. I don't know why we black folk can bought into the argument we can't have charter schools. We can't have our own school. We should be doing that instead of letting our public schools fail and begging the state legislators for money. We got the money to do our own thing instead of waiting on legislatures who <laughs> they ain't going to, you know, 
even though we got black le- I think about it right here in Mississippi we got a lot of black legislatures here in the state of Mississippi and we can't get funding for public schools here in Mississippi black legislators democrats and they you know they got republicans who got the power and I say we take the power from them by doing it our own way Dr. King advocated for it of course you know that was the nice Dr. King. <laughs> the nice Dr. King is, I have a dream. No, the nice Dr. King was the same King who advocated that we do our own thing, that we be unselfish, and that we build community and not tear down community. We can do it. We can do it, and we should do it. I think this Dr. King would be disappointed because we have not come to our potential as a people. While he did not publicly advocate for us, (laughs) we repatriating Africa, the Caribbean, or anything like that. One thing he was sure of is that we can do it ourselves. Yes, we need we need white folk. We can't really, (laughs) you know, they have the power, but we can tap into it, and then once we tap into it, we can get it. That's all we need. I look at some communities, urban communities where they're trying. And I, I, I list, uh, I stay within the framework of Jackson, Mississippi. And I think about South Jackson. And I think those who are leading the charge, yes, they're believers in Christ, they're Christians, they're pastors, they're bishops, and they are leading the charge. In reigniting and not just reinventing, not reinventing, but reinvigorating South Jackson or West Jackson here in Georgetown, the Georgetown community. We're we're trying, you know, (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying as a leader in this community. One of my roles as a pastor and leader in this community is to get our folk to buy the fact that we are worth ourselves. We are worth ourselves, investing in ourselves. And I I take pride when I see um, people who own property here taking care of their property, managing their property, you know, being being really, really aware of who's staying in their property, who's leasing their property, who's renting their property, what businesses are coming in. Why do we need another liquor store? We don't need another liquor store. Let's get a bank. Let's put our money together and start a credit union. Or if we're going to do something big, uh, yeah, we can do a daycare center, but not no, let's not just let's not just leave it as a daycare center. Let's build it up until we can get first grade, second grade, sixth grade, then get on to the high school and make that high school to where it's a, a dominating force in the economic and educational atmosphere, sphere of influence. I believe we can do it. I think we should do it. I, I think we should do it. I'm an advocate of it. Dr. King was an advocate of it. And I think we do doing them an injustice when we do any less. I'm running out of time. <coughs> and uh, I, I just, you know, I think we can serve Dr. King's legacy better by being empowered to live our present better. In the words of Charles Charles Wesley's hymn, we must serve this present age, our calling to fulfill. We don't live in a future. 
We don't live in the past. We live in the present moment, and we should be empowered to do and be in the present moment. We don't need to wait for anybody. We don't need a great black hope. We don't need a great black hype. We have the means. We have the money. We have the material to do it. So we should be doing it. 50 years later, 50 years later, I don't think we're in a better boat. Just a better patched boat. It looked better. It's patched up. But it ain't the best. We can have the best. We should have the best. We should demand of ourselves. And I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking to me too because as as, as a person of color, I with bad credit, well, it's good. <laughs> It's not excellent. It's good. But I could come out of debt. I could do more to be more efficient with my investing. I do more to be more efficient with my enabling the people that I pastor and the community that I serve to know who they are and what they can have and what they can do to change their environment. I get tired of hearing the gunshots, too. But getting the message to the people, to the kids, the, and I'm talking about kids, you know, the, it, <laughs> doing the murders, getting the guns, becoming gang-affiliated, getting that message to them about the reality of who they are and that what they're doing is not worth it, it falls on us. It fell on Dr. King. He took the responsibility hard, and he died for it. Today, we have black leadership that's just lollygagging around. Some just following the orders of a Democratic Party, some just being token Negroes of a Republican Party, some just not doing anything at all, but all of it has to change, and it needs to change now. I want to be a part of that change. I want to be a part of that change. I want to be in in power. I want to be a liberator, just like Dr. King was. And like Dr. King said, I spoke to God, and God showed me the promised land. And I look, I might not get there with you, but I know as a people, we'll get to the promised land. All right, so that's it for me today. I'm going to get out, tune in uh, to archive shows. You can tune in all you can, uh, uh, go on all the way back. Again, take time to visit all of our social media sites. Uh, all, all where we are on social media, send me an email, pastorlorenzo.gmail. at gmail. I want to hear what you think about this topic. I want to know what you think about it. I love to uh, interact with you. So do whatever you can. Let me know what you thought, what you think. Uh, but hopefully we'll get back on track, get back on schedule, and try to be more consistent with what we do. With what we can do. Thank you for all your support. Holler at your boy. Let me know. Uh, hey, you may know guests to be on the show. You may have a topic you want to talk about. I, I don't mind that at all. Welcome. But anyway, thank you for tuning in. This is Pastor Renzo. I bet you got to keep it.